Spectre Cinema Club episode 165, Brat Pacino on Letterboxd gives Event Horizon 3.5 out of 5 stars saying, I asked my roommate what they wanted to watch and she simply said space or ghosts, so I went above and beyond by picking something with space and ghosts and Sam Neill being weird. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Spectre Cinema Club, a podcast obsessed with the horror subgenres. I am your co-host, Garrett McDowell. Sitting virtually across from me, it's Devon Taylor for week two of Possession Months, or pos- Possession Movies. What did, we, what did we decide again, Devon? <laughs> hello, hello, hello. It is your boy, Devon Taylor, here. And uh, I went with Save Your Soul. That's what we're going to try and do this month um, uh, for, for all you sinners out there. And, uh, and you know, we're not going to need eyes where we're going because um, that's how podcasts work. You only listen. You don't need eyes for this. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, very stoked to continue on our uh, possession theme for this month. And, of course, we had to uh, bring in a special guest for this one. Um, uh, you know, uh, as we have done in the past year or so, um, we just keep trying to collect Every contributor from the Ghouls Magazine squad, um, eventually we will get the whole roster, but then it's like every time we get someone else on, there's like two more of you guys. You guys just keep springing up. Uh, so welcome to the show, Iona Smith. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you um, for making the time. Of course, it's always a little uh, difficult sometimes with the, the time difference, but we made it happen. Uh, very excited to have you on here. And uh, as we like to uh, start off the show with our guests, uh, we like to ask you, uh, what are some of your favorite subgenres in horror? Oh, now I am 100% a gorehound. Like, I love anything that's like body horror. I like the ooey gooey stuff. Um, I'm also a sucker for some like cheap thrills and kind of jump scares. So you give me like a really crappy 90s kind of slasher where every five seconds you're getting someone jumping out the shadows. I'm there for that. Um, and I also have a really, really big love for uh, some of the supernatural. I feel like that is uh, all three of those are probably found in this movie, like cheesy 90s scares, uh, <laughs> but also some ooey gooey and the supernatural. So you kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, did all the quadrants today. Yeah, Hell yeah, de- I'm the triple threat today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you definitely hit all the all the buzzwords associated with Event Horizon for sure, um, you know, uh, and uh, yeah, because um, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, people like to get down on, you know, uh, cheap jump scares and like, uh, and you know, being a gore hound. Like, it's like when you when you mention gore and like jump scares, those are like usually the words for like the people that are like, oh, I don't really li- uh, like, I like horror, but I don't like these things, you know. And it's Ugh, like, yeah. And it's like, hey, there's a there's a place for all of it, you know. Like, you know, jump scares have a a job to do, and mm-hmm. they do it. They provide an experience, you know um as well as the gore you know so it's like uh even if it's not somebody's favorite it's like i always hate when people like reduce those aspects because it's like hey you know there's so many little pieces that go into horror and like every little part's important you know yeah, oh, yeah I also, definitely 
Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's also kind of, you know, not necessarily the lowest common denominator of horror, but it is something that I would say is quite an entryway for a lot of people into horror. People who, you know, do like the slasher movies who, you know, get all ooey gooey, as it were, uh, or, you know, these kind of cheap thrills kind of uh, horror films that are, you know, not necessarily as heady or as psychological, but more kind of rely on those noise and music cues and stuff. I think there's a lot of folks out there that that is kind of their gateway into a larger world that is horror movies oh yeah and i mean like like i am very much an advocate of introductory horror for people like bringing them in and kind of being like hey here's some stuff that you might enjoy because you like this genre or this genre but i mean people that know me from the ghouls lot also know that my favorite film franchise is final destination and any anyone that tries to fight me on that i i can literally send them like pages and pages of argument <laughs> why it's like some of the best introductory horror you can get that's fun Ooh, i never actually thought about final destination as introductory horror but yeah that actually is really good because there's um you know that you got the high concept that's enough to like introduce them you know but then also um they're just fun like that's my thing yeah. with the final destination movies like are the screenplays works of art no um uh, do you get a lot of super strong performances usually not but you know what you do get is a lot of fun with the kills and like you know like oh, yeah. horror, horror is an experience you know uh not just a a, a movie watching experience you know so um it, yeah definitely um i'm gonna start uh, using that for uh I'll, I'll start pitching that to people whenever they're like oh how do i get into work because usually i go like obviously somewhere uh you can go in like the, the fun animated route or i like to jump throw people right in i always say nightmare on elm street is i think Ooh, a, yeah. a, a really good introductory it's just scary enough it's got you know some interesting ideas but then it's also you know uh has you know some great performances and iconography in it so that's usually like my go-to for like oh what what should i start with i'm like yeah, I think you sh you can start here, and it's a good like litmus test to like know which way you want to go after mm -hmm. that. Or I think a film like Event Horizon, you know, has uh you know shades of another genre, kind of being the sci-fi horror film. If you have a sci-fi fan out there who hasn't maybe seen the most horror movies, they could watch something like this, which I think has enough of the familiar within it. And we'll certainly talk about kind of the DNA of this movie, and you know, some very obvious films that it's inspired by. But having that kind of uh, seasoning of being this kind of fucked up possession, you know, bloody, weird, gothic, nightmare, hellish film that this is. <laughs> yeah, you can de definitely rope them in with the science sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like this. This has basically everything that anyone could be looking for. <laughs> uh, well, let's go ahead and uh, open up the black hole gateway and hop on in to our film for today's episode. Event Horizon, released August 15th, 1997, uh, directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. Uh, in case you are uh, confused, uh, this is not the guy that did Boogie Nights. Uh, he did Mortal Kombat and a lot of the Resident Evil movies and also Death Race 2000, which I really enjoy as well. Uh, this was written by Philip Eisner, cinematography done by Adrian Biddle. The score was done by Michael Kameen, and this was edited by Martin Hunter. Um, as most people know, this was uh, a bit of a box office flop. Um, it uh, made $42 million, uh, against a $60 million budget. Like, goddamn, remember when movies like this were getting big budgets like that? Like, I mean, mm -hmm. we like, that's unheard of these days. Um, it, it didn't do too well at the box office, 
However, it did do pretty well in DVD sales, um, so much so that Paramount uh, wanted to restore the deleted footage um, that was cut from this. This movie is uh, was famously hacked to pieces uh, from a 130-minute runtime down to 96 minutes. Um, however, the deleted footage is uh, either lost or destroyed, uh, much like the Event Horizon ship itself. It's a mystery. Maybe it'll pop up randomly in 27 years uh fingers crossed um uh, iona um what do you think uh this is sitting at on rotten tomatoes it has 90 reviews oh see i've got a feeling just because of how it started the fact that it was a box office flop i don't know if it's going to do too well on rotten tomatoes uh i'm gonna say oh maybe 42 percent yeah, you, you you gave it a little more credit, which I think it does deserve. Uh, 34%, uh, 34% of uh, reviewers uh, rated this fresh. Uh, Garrett, what do you think the average letterbox rating is sitting at? I think the people's choice is going to be pretty close to Rotten Tomatoes. I would say probably a 3.1 or something like that. I don't think it's straying too far from the Rotten Tomatoes score. Uh, a 3.3 out of 5. Okay. Um, it, uh, the, 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 the people give it a little bit more credit than the critics do, because I think mm -hmm. this is one of those films that people are, uh, never shy about admitting the flaws to, however, still watch it because like, oh, this is mm -hmm. such a weird, fun movie. It's an interesting idea. It's very unique. Oh, uh, like this isn't based off of anything. I mean, there's shades of a lot of other films in it, but like, this is a wholly original property. Um, and again, like the fact that he got such a, uh, a, a big budget and this came out the same year as um as uh Mortal Kombat or no no Mortal Kombat actually came out two years before so he because Mortal Kombat was a success so maybe that is what helped uh really uh help secure the bag for this one um Iona uh you uh picked this film for our possession month which I think is a very fun pick for uh possession month so why do you want to talk about it today I mean, I just have such a big love for this film and I think that a lot of the time people don't consider it a possession film because it's got so many other subgenres within it. So like the fact that it's kind of a space horror, the fact that it's kind of got the gothic tropes in it and kind of, it's basically like a haunted house in space, but people very often forget there is that whole possession element and the fact that these people that were originally on the event horizon have been to hell and back and they brought something back that is beyond kind of uh human recognition uh so i feel like it's definitely one that i always want to bring up when possession comes into the conversation yeah and uh garrett had had you seen this before uh this recording i certainly had i had watched this for the very first time uh in the past year or so and uh was aware of the kind of uh, the, the talk around this movie and obviously the filmmaker behind it. I think when you go into this movie, it's its reputation kind of precedes it a bit, especially uh, because of who's behind the camera. And I think that in spite of all of the issues that are present in this movie and then the issues that are not present in this movie, and we can talk about that later as well, I think it's, it's a wonder that this movie is as fun as it is. I think it is a hot mess, and we're going to talk about that, but I still really enjoy watching the movie. I think it is one of those films that it's, again, like you had mentioned, I'm well aware of the flaws with the movie, but even watching it the second time, I still have a really uh, a fun ride with this movie. It is so unique. It is so singular uh even though i think it has been inspired by so many other things i think it's able to take kind of the 
uh, the, the the framework of some of those movies, but really have a fun spin on it, uh, a unique voice. It's also got some great performances. Sam Neill is so wonderful in this. I love when Sam Neill just goes batshit crazy, uh, and that is uh, exactly what happens here. And then Lawrence Fishburne also is, is really wonderful in this as well, uh, and I'm excited to uh, dive into it uh, in all of its warts. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a I'm a fan of this one. Um, I saw it for the first time. Uh, maybe it was like I don't know four or five years ago or so. Um, because I'm a I'm a Paul W. S. Anderson fan. I won't hear anything bad about the guy because he's ambitious. He knows how to give a visual flair and like yes, is he always is are any of his movies trying to like tell like super in depth stories or you know really dig into a character? No, he's here for he's here to have a good time, you know, and like he's very ambitious with it. Um, he's um. Uh, this might be a wild comparison. Um, he's kind of like '90s version of James Wan in a way, except Ooh. without the except without the box office success. Uh, just in the way that he is, just like kind of unabashed in like the things that he tries to do, and uh, and then he you know made six Resident Evil movies with his wife. I mean, and how can how can you get mad at that? Who wouldn't do that? Um, but yeah, so I'm a I'm a fan of this one. Um, I like because I'm I'm uh, I'm not a big pure sci-fi fan but i do like sci-fi and horror mesh together um and so like whenever you get that i'm definitely excited for it uh the haunted house in space aspect is very fascinating as well but then uh like you said iona uh people kind of forget about the possession angle which i find fascinating with uh weir's character because i feel like scientists have this kind of you know they have a degree of hubris to them um, and so it's like easy to be like they're kind of blinded by their work a lot of the time and you see that but then you see that that's also influenced by uh, the the possession angle itself I think this ensemble is super fun uh, we got a young uh, uh, Jason Isaacs in there uh, uh, Lawrence Fishburne I mean we have a really fun cast and I actually do like really believe their chemistry like I like I, I like these characters I'm always a sucker for a crew of characters you know what their jobs are you don't really know too much background about them besides that which is kind of unfolded a little bit throughout the film um and again like the production design for this is just really fantastic there's some really great imagery i really like the designs of both ships you have a clear geography for them as well and uh and this film is just it's fun it's a it's a really fun film i like the way that it starts off like a little more uh kind of like you know uh standard sci-fi s but then the the darkness like creeps in and the horror elements like really start you know coming in in the back half of the film so it really takes its time even though it's only 90 minutes and i would very much like to see the two-hour cut of this film so you know who knows if we'll uh get it whenever we see it iona uh before we dig uh deeper into the film are you ready to give us a 60 second synopsis Ooh, yeah. I uh, I don't know if it's gonna be sixty seconds, but I think I've got it. I think I've got it down. Hey, you you got you use the time however you please. This is your synopsis. All <laughs> right. So I got you on the clock here in three, two, one, go. Okay. The year is two thousand and forty-seven, and the Starship Event Horizon has just sent out a distress signal seven years after disappearing on its maiden voyage. The Lewis and Clark are given a mission to find and retrieve the ship or any survivors from Neptune's orbit. On board are Captain Miller, Lieutenant Stark, Pilot Smith, Rescue Tech Cooper, Med Tech Peters, Engineer Ensign Justin, Dr. GJ, and the original designer of the Event Horizon, Dr. Weir. 
The Event Horizon's final recordings sound ominously like screaming and possibly some Latin, leading the team to be wary of the ship on arrival. But as soon as they board the mysterious vessel, the team realise that what happened here is far worse than anyone could have ever predicted. Welcome to hell. Hell yeah. I, I love the... <laughs> um. I love the the tagline for this film is uh, infinite space, infinite terror. Uh, really, it's really so great good. tagline. That's a great tagline for this film. Um, uh, but yeah, you you pretty much hit it. I mean, because if you've seen, uh, we'll get into it more with movie map. But there's a lot of similar shades of you know setups that you that you know for this film. But again, like kind of translating them just to this space area. A lot of the you know typical hallmarks of a haunted house film, uh, and you know things like that. Um, but Garrett, so what are some of the subgenre elements that uh, stick out the most for you? Um, I think that this film, and it's not necessarily a subgenre, but I think it is rare in this case where it really is just a '90s horror movie. Like in the, in the like it is such a '90s movie. The way that this film is lit, uh, the music of the film, the, the 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 clothing of the movie. There's just so much '90s all over this film. Uh, so it the the decade in which it's released is almost a subgenre uh, in and of itself. But I also think that uh, this is like this weird kind of like techno thriller uh in, in a weird way that the uh, the technology of this film uh kind of being the the impetus for a lot of the terror in the film and these characters kind of going mad and going crazy and and tearing open this rift you know uh between time and space and maybe even you know uh, hell and in, in you know our own galaxy uh that a lot of the 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 technology being a source of terror i feel is is pretty unique for a film like this yeah, I, I I think so as well. I think the sci-fi horror is blended really well. Like there's you know some you know whenever you have these like kind of blended subgenres, it's like usually skews one way or the other. And I think this one like kind of goes almost straight down the middle with the sci-fi horror because you know the the horror comes from this fear that you know these are all people that work in space. They all have scientific logical brains. So when the things that they can't explain are happening because of, you know, something that started with uh, being a scientific thing, but then growing into a horrific thing, into this more supernatural thing, uh, you know, really fucks with their brains. Like, there's a really uh, great line whenever, you know, uh, Smitty is like, uh, you broke the laws of physics and you didn't think there would be repercussions, which is like a very, you know, fascinating idea. But again, it's like, they can't wrap their head around these repercussions because they're thinking about it logically. You know, they're like, oh, well, that's not possible because of X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well, hey, I saw what I saw with my eyes. So it's like uh, the, the the clashing of the sci-fi and horror, I think, works uh, really well for this. Um, Iona, you talked about um, your proclivity to supernatural horror and uh, and body horror as well. Uh, so, like, what are some of the subgenre elements that uh, really work for you in this one? Well, I think kind of the body horror element especially really does work for me. I know that obviously in this cut that has been released in the cinematic version, you don't really get the full glimpses of everything that's going on. But I know from, I mean, I've, 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 I've done a, quite a lot of writing and researching on this film over the years. And I know from the research that I've done that the body horror element of it was supposed to be so much longer. Like the sequences of like the hell torture and all that kind of stuff were like really dragged out in the original and test audiences hated it. They had a terrible time. So they just really cut that down. And the editing that kind of got put into that was like, bam, 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 bam. Like you just gonna have flashing images and stuff. 
But if anything, I think that that almost makes the body horror worse for me because you don't really know what you're looking at. Like, it's kind of a terrifying element in this film and it's almost like seeing the unseen and your brain not quite registering what you're really looking at. Yeah, I I, I like the way that you say that because, like, yeah, it is it is kind of a silver lining. Like, of course, us gorehounds, we do want to see more of the things. We want to see the <laughs> depravity. Like, it sucks that that, you know, that video is, we literally get, like, 12 seconds. Like, and that's it. Oh, yeah. and, but, like, even in that 12 seconds, it's like, I, 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 uh, I rewound it a couple times because I really wanted to like try and see it. it's like there's people fucking there's people ripping eyes out somebody's arm is down somebody's throat like there's yep. some like wild shit going on in that little <laughs> clip uh, that yeah like it, it is just enough to like kind of make you wonder like oh my god like what else is uh, what else did these people experience what could uh, this potential crew experience um, yeah so like even though as much as we would like to see it more um, I think, yeah, yeah, the the vagueness of it, you know, kind of leads uh, a little bit more to the imagination just because it's like uh, just trying to think of like, you know, what is the you know total limit of, you know, what could be happening to these people? You know, we only yeah. see like a, a little sliver of it. Oh, I was just going to say, if you want to see in graphic detail what uh, Miller sees when Weir's giving him the visions of what could be with the crew, I have screenshots of that so I can send you them. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Send those in the chat. Uh, I will do. Because that sounds uh, really interesting. Um, and yeah, because many people talk about the, the haunted house in space uh, aspect to it, um, which I think does translate really well. Um, you know, it's, um, you know, it's also, uh, this is also workplace horror. You know, this is a, a, a crew. <laughs> they are doing a job. Uh, you know, they don't want to be on this job. They're on, they were supposed to be on leave. And then they get kind of roped into this. So, like, you know, there's already this um, uh, apprehension uh, amongst the crew to doing this to begin with. So it's kind of different than uh, a typical haunted house film where it's like these are people willingly moving into the house, you know, because of, you know, for one reason or another. And then they can't leave for one reason or another versus this one is like, no, the, the haunted house is making you come to it. And then now you're now you're stuck and have to suffer with it. So I like the way that it translates uh, into, you know, into space, but then also into like the, the workplace horror of it all. I am surprised to hear, though, that you uh, like it's very famously known that so much of this film was, you know, cut and left on the cutting room for, floor. I'm surprised to hear that the horror stuff was left on the cutting room floor. I would think it would be something else like more, you know, something that a studio would look at and go, well, audiences don't want to go see a two hour long whatever movie about, you know, like, let, let's cut to the chase, so to speak. And you had said that the, the script was, you know, however many pages and, you know, if it. it they cut about 35 to 40 pages of, of the of the script, so to speak, in the final runtime. And I'm so surprised to hear that most of that is the horror. Because you'd think that that's what they would want to keep. You know, that's what they would want audiences yeah. to kind of, that That's the draw here to where when I, you know, finish this film, kind of what I'm longing for or kind of what I wished was there is not even necessarily more horror. It's kind of more of the, the, the character building, more of a time to spend, you know, uh, quality time with, with this crew. Because I think the mystery of it all of 
what happened? Why did this team, you know, what did they do? And, and, and how did they go crazy? And all of that kind of stuff. I like the mystery of it all and that it is so vague or you see glimpses of it that this movie inexplicably have like lightning all over it. These like f these big bright strobe lights and trying to decipher everything through that, I think is, is a big appeal of this movie. So I'm very surprised to hear that they they cut the good stuff, man. You, you know, yeah. that's, that's where the meat is. <laughs> Yeah, you you would think that it would have been, you know, audiences complaining about like maybe the sci-fi angle being a little too heady. And I don't think this movie does. I think this movie does a, a really good job of like, you know, it is this kind of high concept. But then, of course, we have the, the famous pencil through the paper demonstration of how uh, uh, traveling through a wormhole works. And we've seen that in I don't know how many films. Uh, you know, referenced. Uh, I love that uh, Annihilation, you know, directly even says, like, have you seen Event Horizon? Uh, you know, <laughs> to like uh, kind of uh, just like explain it a little bit easier, uh, which is really funny. Um, but yeah, so it is interesting that, you know, it is more of the, the, the horror stuff uh, that was kind of cut out. I'm looking at this screenshot here and it's, yeah, a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of things going in people's orifices. Uh, yep. We have like people leaking maggots. Um, yep. uh, like all sorts of stuff, uh, lots of uh, metal and chains, uh, which kind of goes into like that, that techno thriller angle. There's like some sort of melding of humans and technology in this hellscape, which I find fascinating, which like, do you think that if, if they had that stuff and like they're, you know, with this uh, melding, is this supposed to be like a, you know, it's supposed to be a cautionary tale of like, yes, like, you know, as you know, as humans, we're very curious and want to explore different scientific angles. But at the same time, it's like, hey, uh, if you if you explore a little bit too much, it's going to literally consume you. And that's like kind of what it looks like uh, in these images uh, that were kind of cut out. Yeah, I mean, I think one of them that's like really stand out for me is there's a picture of Stark with, um, I think she's got like barbed wire around her head and then like lights around kind of the back of her. And it's almost like she's giving very kind of... Um, jesus on the cross kind of vibes in terms of her imagery mm -hmm. and i feel like it's real the, the kind of messaging behind this is really like a crossover of firstly don't fuck with religion and secondly don't fuck with space mm -hmm. like it's the two it's the two be all end alls like don't don't question your religion don't question that in terms of the science and don't go to space <laughs> space is gonna kill you well i i think that too that the idea of discovery in the unknown and, you know, humans trying to travel the stars and all of that, I think a lot of people could see as sort of playing God. And, and mm -hmm. you, uh, like Devon had mentioned, that great line of you think you could just bypass all the laws of nature and just kind of skip over it and bend it to your own will in a very literal way in this movie and that there won't be repercussions with that. And I think that you know technology and exploration in space especially in cinema has been has been so kind of parallel with humans and our own kind of uh uh explorations and i i think that it's this movie has a lot of fun kind of playing on both of those things but really turning it up to the most kind of vile you know disgusting degree and and looking at these deleted scenes that are you know what 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 could have been maybe the, the again you put this on the cutting room floor? Like, you people don't want to see this? Like, I know it's really upsetting and disturbing, but come on, come on. And, I, and I'd, I have to, I'd have to imagine that, you know, a good chunk of the budget was, like, towards, like, special effects for this kind of stuff. So, like, you're going to let, you're going to give him all this money, and then he's like, okay, well, I'm going to spend this money on some depraved body horse shit. And they were like, ah, actually, nah, we'll, 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 we'll take that part out. And, you know, and so it's yeah. like, yeah. 
you know, there like, is, I was just going to say, there is that great scene though, where they're looking at the monitor and they see what happened to the other crew. And then as soon as it's over, they're like, all right, let's get out of here. This sucks. <laughs> like yeah. uh, I've seen enough, you know. So I do kind of like that they're able to make uh, some light or some humor out of the brevity of the terror that we do see. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and, and you guys had kind of mentioned like how um, you know that there is some religious uh, like little sprinklings in this, but I was also excited to talk this one because this was gonna be the possession movie with like the least amount of religion stuff. Um, but I think it does just enough because, like, I mean, we have a we have a few cross-like imagery, like, with some of the windows and stuff like that. And, you know, they talk about, like, you know, that it, the, the black hole opened up into a gate uh, gateway to hell, which is fascinating, you know, that, you know, to think of space and hell being connected in a certain way. And, and like you said, it's like, it, it's almost like um, the, the movie is, like, wanting to, you know put scientists in check a little bit in a way that um not saying that all scientists are like atheists or agnostic but like i would say you know there's a probably a high percentage of them that like you know because of their logical scientific thinking that you know they kind of discount more religious things so it's like i like that this is just enough to be like hey there are still you know as much as you think you know everything about how the world and space understands there is always just going to be something out there that you don't that like can't be explained and that doesn't mm-hmm. need to be explained and i find that yeah. very fascinating it's just enough of a religious kernel to to be there but like not really expounded on too much yeah well i yeah. think the very ship of the event horizon itself if you look at it from like kind of a bird's eye view it does look like a cross yeah. so i think that there's certainly something to that as well yeah definitely like yeah like there, there's a, some a little bit of imagery in there for sure and like even um like uh, kind of how Iona said, like, whenever you, like, kind of see some of these visions of, like, people's heads being wrapped in barbed wire, like, kind of, you know, you yeah. think of, like, the horned uh, or the, the thorny um, crown that, that Jesus would wear. Um, so let's go ahead and uh, check out uh, this cast. Uh, we have a, a fun ensemble to dig into, uh, headed by Lawrence Fishburne, who, you know, he pops up in a few genre things. I would love to always see Lawrence Fishburne in uh, some more genre stuff. Um, uh, Captain Miller is a very underrated, uh, I think, final guy for me. Um, he is very grounded. Um, he commands respect, and everybody, the ship, like his crewmates really do respect him. And, you know, and like, you know, I, I like the, the work relationship, but however, you do still kind of feel the, the camaraderie, the like past, you know, times that they had, like DJs, you know, mentioned that they've worked together for years um, and things like that. So it's like, I really like, um, his like kind of no nonsense attitude, um, you know, to to be going through in this horror thing. Like a lot of people, you know, in films, they'll they'll ask too many questions. Like the protagonist is busy asking too many questions. He doesn't have time for questions. Okay, he makes statements is what he does, <laughs> uh, which I very much appreciate. Um, uh, so Iona, uh, who are uh, some of your favorite crew members here? Oh, so I've got I've got uh, two standouts for me. One of them is because they I, I think i might be one of their ultimate fangirls and the other one is because of a legacy so i'll start with the uh the fan base um obviously sam neil as we're i mean i i am a massive sam neil fan i have basically seen the majority of his filmography and <laughs> there is a lot of films in that man's filmography um and i just i just love how like versatile of an actor he is but 
I, I mean, I mean, I know it was mentioned earlier, but Sam Neil going crazy is the best Sam Neil. <laughs> like in this, in possession, like his absolutely losing his shit kind of mentality is the best. He's just so good at the crazy, <laughs> and he's just like I think I think he really puts like a heart and soul behind the kind of I guess breakdown that he has in this film, which makes him so susceptible to be possessed by whichever malignant force you want to kind of explain as being part of this ship. Um, and I just think he's so, he, he really draws you in in like his little kind of hell monologues and things like that during, during Event Horizon. So uh, so yeah, I think this is one of my peak uh, Sam Neill performances. I, I think Anderson was very keen on people loving uh, Sam Neill when he goes weird and just is like, yeah. okay, so we'll just drop the D and we'll call him Dr. Weir. Uh, we'll put the D uh, in front for doctors. So, like, literally, <laughs> if you just rearrange his name, he is just weird. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I think uh, Anderson, he, he had to have had his uh, thumb on the pulse there a little bit. Uh, Garrett, uh, who are uh, some of your favorite of the crew members? Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to love uh, Sam Neill. Uh, I think that that's something that is so underrated about him as an actor is that there is kind of that uh, lingering under the surfaceness, like this kind of craziness that he has. I think that's one of the, the best parts about his performance in Jurassic Park is that he's kind of a lunatic, you know? <laughs> like if yeah. you watch the movie, he's kind of a crazy motherfucker. Uh, but then I also think of uh, performances, of course, Possession, but also in the Mouth of Madness where he's, you know, losing his mind in that as well. And that's just really him in like top form and him here just like no eyeballs you know like <laughs> scratches all <laughs> over his face he's just a complete fucking nut it's the best um i'm yeah. a big fan of uh, uh smith who's like kind of the driver of the ship he's kind of like got this uh uh kind of weird sort of sloppiness to him that i like and he's just kind of, i don't really know how to describe it but he's just kind of a grub <laughs> and I, I i really like it uh but he he meets an unfortunate end but i i think the real shine of this movie for me is Lawrence fishburne i think that he is really he's a leading man in this film and we just don't really get to see Lawrence fishburne in that sort of gear very often and i mm -hmm. i agree i wish that we would you know give him that opportunity to do something like that again because i think that he really commands this film I love the dynamic that he has versus Dr. Weir. I'm just going to call him Dr. Weird uh, versus Dr. Weird because <laughs> Weird is like completely obsessed with the ship, you know, and his creation and what he created and going out there and, 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 you know, rescuing that. Like, that's his priority. Miller, on the other hand, Lawrence Fishburne's character, is more preoccupied with the safety of his crew, you know, and when Weird is like, no, we're right here, we can just get it, he's like, fuck that, we're going home, I'm saving my people. Your your machine doesn't have any kind of value or importance to him. And the, the dynamic between the two of them... I don't really think that we get a lot of character in this movie, but I think that that is the most compelling um, aspect that we get is kind of this um, facing off between the two of the uh, the two of them and this kind of difference in priorities being the main source of conflict in this movie. Yeah, Miller. I mean, he does have this like sense of duty, you know, because like the the part of his backstory that we learn is like he lost a crew member before that he basically had to like close the gate on, but he was doing it at the behest of. Mm -hmm. uh the rest of the crew which is he did he is interesting because he knows he did the right thing but however he is still a human being and it's still you know it still weighs on him to a degree even though he multiple times says like i did the only thing i had to do and i know that's what i need to do uh and it, it's always hard to um uh describe gravitas like on what somebody brings to a film and for me 
I think uh, his gravitas is like being able to just like take some of the more ridiculous things and like make it believable and elevate it. Like um, I really love his like mini monologue uh, wherever he says, you ever seen fire and zero gravity? So a worse actor would deliver that and it would sound stupid. And he like goes on to describe how it's like liquidy and it comes in waves. And like, this is like the one scene where you like see his face soften a little bit. Like he doesn't have like the, the serious eyebrows like he does the rest of the movie. And like, you know, so just like even like little details like that uh, elevate the film. And, and with Weir um, is, you know, we, we talked in the last episode on like how these possession movies, people kind of have these dual performances of, you know, their, their normal selves and then their possessed selves. And, uh, you know, who better to, you know, really go off the loony bin, uh, you know, once you kind of see the, the transformation. But the thing for Sam Neill with me is like he he's you know, he, he looks like a kind of average guy, but he also has kind of a weird face. There's something just like a little <laughs> bit off and that and it looks like there's something underneath, you know, and like and that's really great for this character because uh, the interesting aspect of possessed characters for me is like how much of what we're seeing, like when they are being evil and stuff, how much of that is the possessed part and how much of that was already there, you know, because you, you see, you know, he, he really cares about this ship and like he's very proud of his achievement. But then, you know, he gets like the hauntings from his dead wife and, and then the ship, you know, also, you know, possessing him. But it's like a lot of that is just him. Like he doesn't care about this crew. He wants to, you know, uh, get the ship back. He's super stoked about it. And like a lot of that is there even without the possession, uh, which I find very fascinating with his character. Mm -hmm. And um, and, and we, yeah, we, we do have, you know, the, the rest of the crew, we know their jobs, but we don't really get too much. But, you know, we know Peter's, you know, really misses her kid that she's like having to move time away from uh, to, to do this mission. Um, uh, we have, a uh, we have, a uh, Justin, AKA baby bear, who is, you know, the youngest of the crew and everybody kind of has this, you know, very, this care for him, you know, like everybody will be, he's the only one with a nickname, you know, and like everybody, you know, when they say their names, but then like, once they're like truly fearing for him, it's like, oh no, it's baby bear. Like we need to like, you know, help him. So it's like, even him is endearment. I know, I know people are split on Cooper. Um, uh, you know, I, I love Richard T. Jones as a bit character whenever he pops up in things. He's the comedic relief. I think they did the right thing on kind of him being sidelined for the middle chunk of the film out just away. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, we'll give you some jokes. And if he's getting annoying, we'll go have him go fix the ship for an hour, you know, but and I, he'll just disappear off into space for a bit and you're just like, bye. <laughs> but then he gets to survive. So, so I'm always happy for that. And, and, and one thing with uh, this crew too that um I think is very similar to other films with crews such as like Alien or things is um there's it, minus the one uh line by Cooper when he's like kind of flirting with Stark and like oh you want something black and hot inside you besides that everything is like everyone's treated very equally like the women on the crew are not treated less than nor are they sexualized except for that one scene um but aside from that like everyone is treated with equals amounts of respect which is you know very nice to see especially in an early 90s film oh yeah i mean i think that like that really gets kind of defined when so you know when stark kind of the cogs start whirring and she realizes kind of what's going on with the ship like miller doesn't completely dismiss her when she comes up with her theory because he trusts her like mm -hmm. as a fellow crewmate and as a companion like on board of the ship he 
takes the moment he listens to her he kind of tries to theorize what she's saying and tries to make it kind of logical but like in in other kind of 90s films very often you'd get like the woman be like hey i think i know what's going on and they'll be like shut up you're a woman you don't know mm-hmm. it's 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 just it's nice to see that equality mm-hmm. i also we talked about this when we were uh, reviewed amityville is that uh kind of a tenant in a lot of possession movies or just haunted house movies is that kind of point of view character kind of saying hey i i experienced something paranormal i experienced something terrible i saw something and then all the other characters are just like ah you're crazy you're losing it whatever and here what i loved about that is cooper raises these concerns and then miller is like i like he saw something you know like he trusts his crew members and he kind of puts the the onus on dr weird to explain he's like my guy saw this whether or not it was true or whatever you know he saw it and he, and i love that he has all of that trust in in the members of his crew that he kind of kind of puts the heat on dr weird to explain exactly what's happening and you know the entire time he's just like well i guess it's hypothetically possible that space thing could have done this and you know it's like that's most of his character in this movie is just kind of rationalizing um a yeah. lot of the 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 paranormal things that are happening here but i really like that miller has that trust in his crew yeah he he really does and and weird has a interesting thing that like he kind of flip-flop he, he kind of flip-flops back and forth between thinking he knows everything and like can explain the whole thing and like oh like i use all these sciencey terms and i don't know if you're gonna be able to handle it and like off and miller multiple times is like no no we also work in space you can try us and explain it and we also need this information we're kind of on a time clock here um you know so it's like at certain points he's like oh yes i can explain this whole thing i know all this and i wonder if it's the the possession angle whenever there's like parts later they're asking him questions and he's just like i don't know I don't know. I don't know. It's like, oh no, you you thought you knew thirty minutes ago. So like, what what happened in that time space? And so I guess that is a uh, uh, maybe a uh, kind of uh, the the possession part. Uh, wondering if uh, thinking back to your guys' first time watches of this, um, were they trying to do a red herring thing with Doctor DJ, or is it just because Jason Isaacs is also kind of creepy looking? Uh, you know, because like I, I felt like at, at certain points they like kind of tried to make it seem like he might be the one that snaps uh, and yeah. like ends up kind of going rogue against everybody. But then, you know, that doesn't exactly happen. Did either of you well, guys get that vibe from him? Well, yeah, there's that scene where he draws a knife on somebody. He gets a scalpel and threatens to kill someone. So I think that that's definitely kind of what, you know, is is, you know, thrown at the audience is this uh something's not right or at least the people on the ship are slipping but who is it going to be first and i do think that jason jason isaacs is thrown in there first i mean you're right he is a slippery looking motherfucker this guy is like a a big snake man you know he's definitely like he's definitely part reptile something's going on here uh but yeah i i think that i don't think that most I think that's one of my issues with the film is I don't think that enough of the characters in this movie go mad. Like, I, I kind of would have preferred that the entire ship starts to go crazy, but it just seems like people just kind of see stuff, and but their their mind isn't deteriorating. They're just sort of seeing stuff, but it's not really altering their behavior. So I don't really think that there's much tension, at least for me, with all of the members of the ship. It's mostly Dr. Weird and everybody else, in my opinion. Yeah, with yeah, with this much of ensemble, I would have liked to have seen that. And again, that's maybe in some of that thirty-five minutes of cut footage of them kind of hallucinating more of these things, or like, or maybe like hurting themselves in a certain way or something like that. Um, I could definitely see that being the case, but of course, we we might not ever know. 
Um, I will say the uh, one scene uh where that does uh you know is really effective on somebody else is with uh justin whenever he um has the the whole sequence he uh it wakes up from his like um his like little mini coma after he was sucked into the the black hole and then uh he wanders into the airlock and he's like he's possessed at this point like fully he's like you know spouting things about hell and about the things he's seen and he like does all the stuff and then like right after he activates it you see him come back to himself and then he is terrified in that moment and that's a really good acting switch that he has like he literally refers uh, reverts into like a little kid in that moment where he's like mm-hmm. oh uh, I, I don't want to die i don't know what's happening someone please help me whenever he uh screams out for peters his mama bear i'm like oh come on and then like yeah that 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 scene though the body horror of him uh getting you know crushed by the the gravity of space and it, and it has a nice like little thriller kind of angle to it as well with uh miller trying to make it through the the uh the bridge thing to like get to him and everything uh, i think that's a really uh well done scene like kind of all around and then of course like once we see him puking up blood and his blood vessels and stuff it's it's gnarly <laughs> well that is like that's pure like the exorcist stuff right there is having like this child kind of you know in, in the case of the exorcist having like linda blair calling out for their mother and that almost being like a lure you know that like the 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 demon or whoever is possessing them kind of like putting down the walls and like letting this person cry out for help you know to kind of lure the other person in so i think that that's definitely kind of the the for those who say that this isn't a possession movie i do think that there are a lot of tropes or you know cliches for lack of better words that of possession films that you do see in this movie yeah i mean i think justin aka baby bear is definitely the vessel of innocence in this kind of aspect like he is definitely the easiest influenced because he is supposed to be so young and naive and all that kind of stuff and like you said like it it that is a real classic trope of those kind of possession films although i think like looking at how old he actually is supposed to be in this film i think he's supposed to be like just a little bit younger than me and i'm a bit like i ain't that innocent like if (laughs) if if this was happening on a ship that i was on i would not be be influenced like that i'd be like nah i'm out i'm gone done bye (laughs) where's where's the escape pod um but i do i do agree that uh jason isaacs is a bit uh sus in in this film going back going back to the previous point as well um but i do have to give a little bit of context for like when i first saw this film because i think the first time I watched this, I was a bit too young to kind of understand all the little kind of quiet nuances about it that we probably would have seen more of in the kind of wider cut. Like the first time I saw this, I wasn't, I don't think I was even 10. I think I was like eight or nine. But basically like there's uh, Channel 4 in the UK uh, used to like show like horror films really late at night. I mean like one in the morning kind of deal. And I used to have a little four by three telly in my bedroom and I used to just like stay up and watch all these scary movies that my parents didn't know anything about. Um, And Event Horizon was one of them. Hell yeah. And I just remember like the sheer terror, but not really quite understanding what was going on, apart from the fact that the man from Jurassic Park was fighting Morpheus from the Matrix um, (laughs) in space. Um, But yeah, I think I think on a later watch, I kind of started picking up on these more kind of cliches and tropes, I guess you get from possession films um especially kind of hints and little tiny whispers of what we would have got if we'd seen that longer cut and if we'd seen these characters being able to develop into their insanity 
I think that's, yeah, I think that that's a pretty good way to describe my thoughts and feelings on this film is there is enough mm-hmm. there to really pique my interest. And I do think that this movie has the ingredients of something really fascinating, but it's missing like a key ingredient for me. And I, it's hard to kind of exactly put my finger on it. Is it more character? Is it more horror? Or is it a mixture of the two of revealing character out of horror? You know, I, I just feel like this film is a little incomplete. And I, I do think that scrapping of the 30 to 40 pages, you know, of that screenplay uh, is very noticeable in this movie where I think after watching it, it doesn't completely kind of scratch that itch for me that I think that this movie could deliver because this is a late 90s sci-fi horror film directed by not the most prestigious filmmaker in the world. And this is like one of those movies that was a big VHS DVD sort of draw here. And I think that, you know, I look at some of the other peers of movies like that. Again, these kind of trashy 90s horror films. And I just don't think that this movie is fully able to satisfy me in a way that some of those other movies are. Yeah, I, I have to imagine it might have been, like you said, like horror, like character stuff revealed through the horror. Because there's certain crew members, like we see uh, we see Peters, you know, have visions. We see um, uh, uh, Miller have visions as well. Um, and then, but like, we don't see anything with Smitty, you know, really like he doesn't have anything. Uh, uh, DJ does have like that moment where he like kind of, you know, uh, goes crazy for a sec, but he, we don't see him experiencing anything either. Uh, so I have to imagine because like, you know, typically in an ensemble thing like this, every single person would like kind of have their own moment. And I think that would have helped, you know, because to kind of see each and every one of their like personal hells, you know, their personal fears that they're experiencing. Yeah. Um, you know, cause I think, I think it comes through really well with Miller, you know, like of him, you know, seeing the, the fire and like the, the person that he couldn't save and like him describing like how he could feel the heat from it and stuff. Um, I, you know, we just don't get that with like each character. And I feel like most likely they were supposed to all have their own moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I do have a slight theory about Smitty and why he doesn't uh, kind of get all the visions and kind of get as as effect as everyone. But I think I've only kind of justified that theory because we haven't got that longer cut. Um, I personally think that Smitty doesn't get kind of the influence that everyone else does because he never steps onto the event horizon. Mm-hmm. Like because he's the one that stays back and goes, no, 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 I'm not I'm not even going to get on that ship. Like I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. And then his his demise is kind of. It, that happens on uh, Lewis and Clark when when Weir explodes it um, with one of the explosive devices. Mm-hmm. So I think it's almost like a proximity thing, like because he doesn't get as close as everyone else to kind of the black hole and all that kind of stuff, maybe it doesn't influence him as much. But at the same time, I kind of wish that we saw the development from that and we saw him kind of get closer and he was able to experience the visions and we found out more about him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that 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 could potentially be it because yeah, he really the only scene that he spends on the event horizon is at the end whenever they're grabbing the the CO two scrubbers. That's the only time he's in there. Yeah. Um, I guess the only thing that would poke a hole in that theory though is that Cooper does experience it. Cooper even gets covered in the in the shit, like in the in the That's in true. the liquid <laughs> stuff, and he doesn't experience anything either. Which would have been yeah. which that would have been fun too, like him experiencing stuff while him and Smitty are trying to fix the ship. Like that could have been like its own like little side thing. So uh, the things, the things that we did not get uh, in this one. Uh, however, uh, uh, about some of the things that we did get in this, uh, do, were you guys uh, satisfied with um, the uh, finale of like you know when we do finally see Weird go full Weird? 
and everything like uh was, was that enough uh, uh to as far as uh, the build up with his character went um i certainly could have used more of it i mean i think especially when you have somebody as great as sam neil looking like they do at the end of this movie it, to me i'm just like yeah i could use more of that like i'm, I'm really into this because sam neil's such a fucking lunatic and that him running around with this bleeding face trying to kill all these people in space yeah i'll i'll, I'll take a little bit more of that especially considering the the setting of the event horizon being this really cool design for a ship the interior of it it doesn't look very functional it's a lot of like really long hallways with not a lot of stuff in it so i'm just wondering like kind of what the point is for a lot of that sort of stuff but i do love the design of like where the 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 black hole kind of doorway is it's this very like sharp and pointy and gothic kind of nightmare of a room with these you know the magnetic fields the these like spinning kind of rings around this i i think it's a really singular design i can't think of a lot of other horror films that are able to kind of capture the vibe of this and i just love the marriage between science fiction and you know this kind of again sort of gothic architecture and so yeah sam neil running around this weird ship uh trying to kill all these other people yes i absolutely could have used more i like what we get but i'll always take more i mean i like uh i like that you bring up the kind of design of 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 the interior of the ship there because i know that uh so so Anderson actually based the interior of the Invent Horizon on the architecture of the Notre Dame in oh, Paris. Well, there you go. And like <laughs> the whole gothic kind of architecture kind of comes from that kind of stuff, but it also it also kind of comes from the symbolism of like eyes a lot because if you watch the film like in like on like the machinery and kind of like all the different kind of panels and stuff there's lots of like circular uh, place points there's lots of like kind of doodled eyes on a few of the bits of equipment as well so like they're constantly being watched and observed and i feel like that i mean obviously we again it could have been explored further in the longer cut but i feel like that kind of starts off as the basis of weir's kind of insanity because you see mm -hmm. the imagery of like the black hole kind of coming into his eyes and you see the lights reflecting into his vision and then from there all I, I mean, all I can see is eyes everywhere in that film. And it's just like he's constantly just being observed and being drawn to it and being sent to ma madness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting observation because, you know, part of the, the madness is, you know, he rips his eyes out. And in the video, there's people without eyes as well. The, the, uh, yep. the, the original captain of that first ship, he like is literally holding them in his hands. So it's like interesting that the ship is like, no, 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 you don't need eyes. We'll see everything for you, uh, which yeah. is kind of fascinating. And and Garrett mentioning uh, the the functionality it's like there's a the scene whenever they're like first going in and uh and baby bear is like this looks like a meat grinder like what is this and he <laughs> explains that it's like oh it's rotating to help you know contain some of the magnetic blah 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 but it's like okay there's that but why did you need to put spikes why why did they need to be <laughs> sharp like this you know and like in that room too it's like like so it's like again weird is such an interesting guy that's like even before he was going mad, he designs this ship with like all these like, you know, spikes and pointy things hanging off. It's like, why'd you do that? It's like, oh, because you're already a little a little bit evil. <laughs> well, I, 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 I think that exactly is, is kind of what I would love from the character is this kind of hint of is he already too far gone, far gone before the movie even starts? You know, like in him creating this doorway 
is was he kind of patient zero and he's kind of luring this to this team there you know to their doom like he knows what's going to happen but he's being like called back to the event horizon so i kind of like the idea that he is sort of building this kind of temple in a weird way to the you know to for this door to house this doorway to to hell i could see at him being like oh no it could use some more spikes it could use the gothic architecture <laughs> you know to really welcome in our our lord and savior the you know the devil <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, and so there were, um, of course, there were, you know, there's been talks over many, many years, like, oh, uh, uh, should Anderson do a sequel? And then they also had a prequel idea of, like, you know, depicting the events of the the first ship, which prequels are always hard to do because if you already know kind of where it's leading to, is it really necessary? But I think the prequel could work in this angle because then we could possibly see that a lot of the stuff that Weir was saying in this was already a lie. And that could have, mm-hmm. and that could support the idea that, like Garrett was saying, that like he was already, you know, uh, too far gone into this, like beforehand, you know, like so, like it would be interesting for us to like we have an understanding of what happened with those events on that first ship, but then what if it was actually completely different because he was lying the whole time, you know? Yeah. And and I think it would also be maybe interesting to see why he was hired to to make this ship to begin mm-hmm. with, why, um, and you know who gave him the green light on this idea of creating a black hole or what if they didn't like what if that was again just him making that decision just like kind of doing it so i do think that a prequel to this could be interesting and it could maybe reinforce some of that stuff and it'd be also like cool to like see them recreate the scene from the video but like actually happening so would either of you guys be interested in seeing a prequel or a sequel to this to like kind of expand upon it a little bit Oh, I definitely would. I mean, I think, uh, you'd, I mean, I was going to say, I think you'd have to do a bit of de-aging on, uh, on Sam Neill now if you were going to feature him, but we've got technology for that nowadays. It's okay. As long as we don't focus on him too much, it should be fine. Um, I think, yeah, nowadays with the audience that's kind of developed for this kind of uh, film, like the fact that it's got a cult following now, even though it was a bit of a flop at the cinema, I think a prequel would do pretty well. Um, kind of pushing in a bit more of the law, pushing in a bit more of kind of our understanding of it. Um, and it could also give a second perspective for when you watch the the original Event Horizon again and kind of go, oh, actually, like, I'm seeing the intricacies here, I'm seeing him lie there. Yeah, I think I'd definitely be interested in that. Maybe mm-hmm. not a sequel, only because I feel like I want that story to be done and over. Like, I want there to be the unknown of whether... Uh, Stark and uh, Cooper and Justin actually were able to survive and get away from the evil. I don't really want to know what happens to them afterwards or what happens to the evil afterwards. I kind of want that left at like an ominous Mm. nothingness, let's say. But yeah, I think prequel definitely. Oh, I hear your prequel or sequel movie and I raise you a prequel video game. I think that would be really interesting. Ooh, kind of do like a prequel yes. video game a la Alien Isolation, you know, like you're one of the crew members and, you know, you're having to go around the ship and do whatever tasks you're having to do and, you know, maintain the ship. But some of your crew members are going crazy. I think that that would be really, really fascinating oh. for a movie, a sequel. I don't know. But a video game, that sounds pretty awesome. That, that I, would be uh, fascinating. Yeah, I've, I've actually got a little bit of a did you know for that. Uh, this film inspired Dead Space. 
Well, there you go. <laughs> Event Horizon sense. was apparently like the tone of Event Horizon was apparently like a key theme for the creators because mm. they said that like the visual storytelling, the camera work, all of that kind of stuff, um, like really set them on the right pace for Dead Space. Mm-hmm. And there's like really particular scenes of like character gore and like people like missing eyes and stuff like that that they threw into the Dead Space story. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> ah, that's that's fascinating. A uh, friend of the show, uh, Prince Jackson, worked on the most recent Dead Space, so maybe we'll we'll throw <gasps> him some ideas and be like, hey, maybe some alternate skins, uh, some some extra level, some downloadable Event Horizon levels or something. Let, let, let's get John Carpenter in it because apparently he's a big <laughs> Dead Space guy too. Yeah. So yeah. Let's, let's rope him into this, man. Let's do it. <laughs> I mean, and, amazing. I mean, I think I think a prequel to this honestly could work. I mean, of course, if. Uh, uh, you know, like a lot of people don't like prequels, but hey, if Orphan First Kill showed that anything is possible, <laughs> uh, it, it shows that it it can work. I think if I think if even uh, imagine this, if we don't de-age Sam Neill for the prequel, imagine if we made Dan Stevens put on some weight and then play Ooh. play uh Doctor Weir because I think if he if he had like a little a little uh chub on him, he he could pass for he could pass for Sam Neill. <laughs> I so, can see it. Sam Neill, the the chubby Dan Stevens of Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I could see it. I, I think it could work. Um, but uh, uh, do we have anything else, Garrett? Before we want to wrap into our final thoughts? Yeah, I'll go ahead and uh, uh, dovetail into mine. I I've seen this movie twice now, and I think each time I'm just like, God, I wish there was a little bit more, man. Like I I, I feel a little uh, edged here because I, I think that this movie leads up to a lot of interesting stuff and has a lot of fascinating ideas there um and whether or not the good stuff is left on the cutting room floor i guess it's kind of a grass is greener sort of attitude but i do feel something is missing in this movie whether it is kind of this fun mystery or details of how long you know dr weird was kind of this way or you know how much did he know and you know what exactly is going on with this crew and who's being affected and why are they being affected you know there's all of these these questions here that i think are are good questions and you know this movie does invite that kind of curiosity but i do want a little bit more um i don't think that paul ws anderson is the best fit for it i think he's the best fit for what this movie you know ended up being in a weird way which is like this 90s kind of hot mess uh, sci-fi horror film i think paul ws anderson is a fine choice for that but i think this really could have been something and i don't know if he's the director i would pick you know, to deliver that. I'm not a huge fan of a lot of his films, but um, I think that he probably does as well as he could given the circumstances here. Um, but still, I think there's really solid performances. Uh, a lot of the gory effects that we do get is fantastic. The production design of this is so great. When Dr. Weird is like crawling around that like vent area and it's like it looks like cube you know it's like oh the same thing yeah yeah it's so weird like uh there's so much to like about this film i i think there's a great deal of mystery there and i'm actually interested in like the lore of this and i would love to dive into the story more whether it be a prequel video game movie tv series comic book or whatever you know would be really fascinating but i'm at the end of the day with the complete product that is this movie not what it isn't i think it's uh Three out of five eyeballs for me. Uh, it's it's it, there's a lot more there that I could really uh, uh, kind of sink my teeth into here, but what actually is there is uh, leaves a little bit to be desired. So yeah, three out of five uh, eyeballs for myself. Yeah, I I can feel that. It, and you know, I think this film and you know its place in horror history is kind of one of these 
biggest what ifs, you know, what mm-hmm. ifs, what could have been, uh, what, you know, have we missed uh, from that cut footage and stuff. Uh, so it does, you know, take up an interesting space in, in that way. And it kind of is, again, like carved out its own place in history in that way that, you know, we're kind of always just wondering about this film. However, people still have like a good time with it. Uh, with you know what it did come out to be it's like I mean yes like uh, could have been a lot better but I think um, this film also could have been a lot worse I think uh, this uh, I think this definitely could have um, uh, you know turned out you know, uh, in a completely different way um, if people weren't willing to you know just like really go there with some of these ideas I think this movie does um, still have enough ambition um, and things and a lot of positive elements that do make this, uh, you know, easy to revisit and uh, easy to appreciate. Again, the stellar production design, um, uh, the, the ensemble chemistry is very tight, even if the uh, characters individually aren't, you know, super deep and layered. And uh, I mean, yeah, Larry Fish and, uh, and Sam Neill in this one are, are really bringing their A game. And uh, it's really fun to uh, kind of watch them uh, have a little tete-a-tete, you know, between each other. Um, I was a little bit more generous the last time I watched this, but on this one, um, yeah, it, I mean, Garrett called it out. It's a hot mess. It really is. Um, but because really um, the thing that kind of made me lower my score a little bit on this one is uh, the, I mean, again, this comes from cuts and stuff, but the editing with the pacing, like certain scenes just kind of jump around and like kind of have no, uh, you know, explanation to how it progressed, you know, to this point in the story, you know, so the it uh the the makes the pacing a little bit wonky um however but like i i love looking at this film i think they're um the the horror set pieces that we do get are strong and i think the score is really good uh, this has a really great uh classic 90s sci-fi score i, I just rewatched uh, species the other day and now uh, the scores are like kind of similior you don't want to talk hot mess of a movie <laughs> lol oh, that yeah. movie uh, super fun. So, uh, so yeah, I'm going to go ahead and give this one a 3.5 out of 5 eyeballs. Uh, Iona, how are you going to uh, score the film of eyeballs and go ahead and give us your final thoughts? I mean, I think that I fully accept that this film is a hot mess. I fully accept that there are many, many plot holes and many, many, many unresolved kind of storylines, I guess, with certain characters and the certain developments that we kind of wish we had. Um, but... I kind of love it as a hot mess. I kind of love that you don't really understand the full chaos and you don't really understand fully what's going on half the time. Um, <laughs> you just know that, like, they're going to die. Well, some of them don't, but most of them are going to die. And that basically the whole situation is kind of set out for them before they even arrive. Um, so I'm actually going to defend it a little bit and give it a four out of five. Hey, nothing wrong with that. That's what that was. What my <laughs> last watch was my last watch was a four out of five, and then I took it down just a smidge mm-hmm. on this one. But yes, because I'm a I'm a proud defender of hot messes as well. I'm a a oh, lot yeah. of my favorite films are are hot messes. So you know the film is what it is, and uh, if anybody out there wants to uh, draw a, a comic uh, for for some more lore for this or something like that, I would totally check it out. Or you know I'm not a video gamer, but I would play the video game of this. Um, but uh, let's go ahead and see what other movies we had on the brain while we were discussing Event Horizon. Alrighty, here on Spectre Cinema Club, we will conclude our conversation by playing movie math. Uh, we just have to take some of the films that reminded us of Event Horizon and put it in a mathematical equation. 
since uh, Iona is uh, new around these parts, Devon, do you want to show her the ropes? Show her how it's done. Sure, sure. I've been uh, I've been shuffling my equation around a little <laughs> bit, uh, swapping some stuff in and out, but I settled on. Um, so in parentheses, um, I have uh, the Amityville Horror, which we just covered last week, but I mean, it's kind of hard not to loop it in because, I mean, there's literally a gateway to hell in their basement, um, the, the possessed angle of it, um, the, the kind of descent into madness between Weird and George is uh, a little bit similar. Um, and the the crew of this uh, of this ship they they seem like a family like I would say that they are close enough to where I'm like no they they do feel like a family so uh, it kind of translates uh, in that way uh, so Amityville Horror uh, times the Cloverfield paradox uh, I know a lot of people weren't huge on this film and neither am I I think it's fine uh, with a lot of really interesting ideas I like the way that uh, the the sci-fi and horror kind of blend in that one we have. Uh, the techno uh, horror in that of like certain people losing limbs and getting integrated into the ship, and uh, and then like and then we get clones and stuff that would have been fun in here. Give us a clone of Weir. Uh, that if we had two Sam Neils in this movie, a clone of Sam Neil running around. Oh man, like that would have been so fun. Uh, so so yeah. So in parentheses, uh, Amityville horror multiplied by Clover uh, Cloverfield paradox, and then I have it divided by uh, as above, so below. Um, uh, uh, have it divided because it's a very different setting. Uh, however, you have a main character that is after a thing uh, and is kind of roping everybody into that situation to go get this thing. And as they, you know, descend deeper and deeper into the catacombs, they all um, are suffering, uh, you know, memories of their past traumas and things like that and are getting confronted with their own personal hells. Uh, as above, so below is like an interesting Dante's Inferno kind of take, and you can see a little bit of that in this, but again, we're kind of missing that with some of the other characters. Um, even even in As Above, So Below, one of the person's uh, past traumas involves somebody getting burnt alive, similar to Captain Miller. Um, so, so yeah, so uh, Amityville Horror times Cloverfield Paradox divided by As Above, So Below. See, the Cloverfield Paradox is a good pull because that also is a very hot mess, too. And it's also a movie yeah. that that seems like it was uh, kind of crammed into what the final product eventually was because of like studio interference. Yeah, so it, I also it, think it was that like there's the, some similarities there, too. Yeah, it, it was the reverse angle. Uh, this, you know, Event Horizon has a bunch of lore that was cut from it versus uh, Paradox was a offshoot script that was forced into a series that already right. had a bunch of lore in it so yeah a little reversal there makes sense for me uh iona what if you have uh, in your equation i mean i feel like i, f I feel like i can't uh, beat that but i've got uh i mean mine starts off with alien because duh, duh. alien <laughs> uh divided by frankenstein specifically 1931 frankenstein with boris karloff absolute banger of a film um but my reasoning behind that is uh the kind of classic gothic tale entrenched with like religious moralities, warning audiences to kind of like not tamper with the rules of impermanence. Mm -hmm. I feel like Event Horizon dips its toe into it, but from a different angle, kind of going down the sci-fi route. Um, and then I am plussing uh, Prince of Darkness from 1987, uh, mm. which is John Carpenter's Goo Satan film, <laughs> uh, which is actually the other film I almost asked you guys if you wanted to talk about. Um, but I did... Uh, talk about that with a uh, fellow ghoul Igraine on her uh, podcast what a scream before and she does not like that film so i thought i wouldn't uh try and make anyone else <laughs> talk about that film with me um but that's because of like the science and possession going hand in hand mm -hmm. um 
Then I'm adding The Shining as well for the haunted house, uh, ghosts of people's pasts and potential futures haunting their minds and kind of leading to that insanity. And then I am multiplying by Solaris because space dementia. Um, mm. It's kind of the only way I really want to describe that film. If you haven't seen Solaris, go and watch it. It's it's also a hot mess. It's it's great. It's terrible, but it's great. <laughs> and there's two it's, versions um, of that one too, right? Yeah, I'm going like uh, I'm going the 1972 route. Okay. So go go down like good old 70s space dementia, and you'll have a wild time. I think all of that kind of mashed together in a weird melding pot equals event horizon i like it like i think i think you pulled some really interesting ones with uh, the playing god and frankenstein uh, i think was an interesting poll um i'm also not a big fan of prince of darkness uh, i think it was another <laughs> one that had a lot of potential some great imagery but like just really didn't do it for me uh, you can hear me talk about that on a uh, pot and pendulum we did that one like a few months ago um but uh yeah so uh, i am happy that you picked event horizon <laughs> instead uh, uh i, I would have rather it. talked prince of darkness because that's an awesome movie <laughs> <laughs> Prince of Darkness rules, uh, and also I think it's hilarious that you described Solaris as like a, a also not very good science fiction film, where that's like one of probably the most like beloved science fiction movies <gasps> of all time. So uh, uh, props to you there for that. Uh, but I have in my uh, equation uh, in parentheses I have Interstellar, uh, obviously another film that uses like the folded paper and the pen kind of technique to describe the science of everything. Um, also a movie uh, about traveling through space and time to go kind of rescue something. Um, that also being about this person who's kind of leading this group of people on this expedition, knowing that they're eventually, you know, leading them to their doomed. I have that multiplied by Jason X. I know they came out at different times, but that's also a movie that has like very 90s, early 2000s mm -hmm. sci-fi vibes to it. Uh, and that is just kind of the overall just sort of, uh, feeling of the movie it's kind of inescapable uh and uh, i have both of those uh, in parentheses uh, uh raised to the power of hellraiser part two specifically um because that movie is very much so about you know this other kind of plane of you know hell and demons and pain and past traumas and all of these things i think that hellraiser is is something that is really all over this film uh especially in regards to uh, the barbed wire and, you know, uh, a, a lot of what you had actually sent us that photo of seems very Hellraiser. Uh, and I think that the second one in particular uh, is, is, is found all over this movie. Oh, yeah. I know I know people bring up Hellraiser a lot with this film. I've, I uh, saw a couple of Letterboxd reviews calling this their favorite Hellraiser movie. Um, and, and but yes, and I think the easy route would have been Hellraiser four, you know, because that one is space stuff. But yeah, no, two is a lot closer. I almost put Hellraiser two in mind because mm -hmm. uh, that that main villain uh, even has a similar look to to Weir once he gets transformed into a Cenobite. So uh, I, I I totally see that, and uh, I, and I choose to believe that this is also in the Hellraiser universe because why not? Uh, why not? Oh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of details unknown. That could also be it. So, so we're gonna go ahead and throw it in the Hellraiser franchise. This movie's better than half the sequels in that franchise. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think it's too far of a stretch at all. Uh, but thank you so much, Iona, for coming on to the show and discussing this with us. Uh, do you have any projects you're working on right now you want to shout out and uh, give us your social media handles? I mean, yeah. Uh, most people can catch me on majority of socials. Uh, I I use the handle full underscore out underscore Iona because as well as being a horror nerd I'm also 
a dirty little emo kid at heart. Um, the only thing you won't find me on is TikTok because I'm a grandma and I don't understand it. Um, I need someone to explain it to me. If anyone wants to, please do. Um, and yeah, for, for stuff that I kind of put out there, you can check out Ghouls Magazine. Uh, we write horror from the female and non-binary perspective. Um, we're taking a teeny tiny break for the end of the year just to kind of decompress and everyone have like a, a nice little festive season. But we've got some big stuff coming in the new year. So keep an eye out and... Uh, We'll be announcing very soon. Hell yeah, we are very excited. Uh, we'll be having uh, Mama Ghoul back on the show here in a few weeks. Zoe will be joining us, so very excited for that. And uh, of course, Love we'll it. have uh, the links to all that in the description below. Uh, Garrett, what you got going right now? Uh, unfortunately, you can find me on TikTok uh, at Garrett McDowell, uh, as well as Twitter and Letterboxd at the same handle. I've also got another podcast that is a Star Wars podcast uh, that's called Scum and Villainy, and we have new episodes every Thursday. Yeah, more spacey needs for you. You know, take a listen to this one. Go ahead and hop over uh, into right. Scum and Villainy for more space <laughs> stuff. Uh, and you can find me on all the usual places at underscore Daddy Disco on uh, Twitter, TikTok, uh, Instagram, uh, Letterbox, all the things. Uh, you can hear me over on uh, Pod and Pendulum. Uh, we are doing some uh, uh, one-off holiday horror, taking a break from franchises over there. So uh, you can hear me talk. Better watch out, as well as uh, Silent Night, the, the 2021 version, not not the new John Woo one. Uh, so you can uh, go hear us uh, talk about that over there, and you can also hear me on, uh, I just did an episode of Bodies of Horror uh, with Nicole Goebel uh, talking Swallow. So uh, I got some potty stuff going on that you can go find me on. And uh, yeah, and uh, of course, make sure you guys are um, giving us five-star reviews if uh, you are listening on Apple Podcasts and be on the lookout for our Patreon coming here in 2024. You can uh, get a little taste of it for free as uh, we gave you guys uh, our Blood Rage commentary as well as our first episode of Watching the Watchlist. And uh, we'll have uh, some more Patreon previews for you here in the next week or so. But... Now go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Spectre Cinema Club. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Subscribe to not miss a thing. You can follow us on social media at Spectre Cinema on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave us five stars, a nice little review. We appreciate you. But until next time, guys, stay lifted.